Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. There is power in faith in the living God this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles. The book of Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, since, I, since I am preaching a message that I did not plan on, had to, had to believe God to speak to me about direction for this morning's service, and I'm praying that God would help us today. Hebrews chapter 12. Maybe you've heard there is a bowl, an ancient, very uh, expensive and very precious bowl from the northern Song dynasty was discovered and purchased at a garage sale for $3. Later, when it was discovered, the true value of that bowl in 2013 sold at Sotheby's auction for $2.2 million. That's a pretty good investment. Maybe you could imagine if you are a, if you are a musical uh, appreciator appreciative of music and, and, um, and orchestra. Maybe you know what a Stradivarius violin is. Could you imagine taking a, one of these precious violins that was handcrafted by one of the greats, beyond price, beyond value, and decided that you want to donate that to a second grader who's just learning the violin, who probably doesn't appreciate what he would be holding? Could you imagine... A finely tuned million dollar NASCAR has been worked on for years and finely tuned and every bolt and every piece has been highly tuned perfectly for high speed and then you put a 16-year-old brand new driver behind the wheel. Probably not a great idea, right? Or for our tech generation, imagine purchasing the latest and greatest MacBook Pro for $2,500 and give it to your child who's going to watch YouTube. One of, the, one of the difficult things of life is when people do not fully appreciate or understand the meaning or the value behind certain things in life. And if we're not careful, what begins to happen is we can cheapen or we can... Uh, fail to appreciate its true purpose. In the scripture we're about to read, we're going to read about a man who did something similar. He had an incredible opportunity, a chance of a lifetime, and he treated it as nothing. He treated it as though he despised it. And God's reaction to this man teaches us a lot about the kingdom of God And I'm praying that God will use this story to inspire us today. Hebrews chapter 12, 
beginning with verse 16. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and it says these words, Make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for one meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance, though he sought it with tears. I want you to think about that for a second. He sought for repentance with tears, but didn't find it. You have to ask yourself, why is that? Verse 18, For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and sound of words, those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. And if even an animal touches that mountain, he must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. Verse 22, Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels in festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn, whose names have been written in heaven, to God who is the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, to Jesus, mediator of the covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. Verse 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. And by it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is a message I've titled, Rejecting Relevance, Receiving Reverence. Let's pray. Father, we come by the precious blood of Jesus. I'm praying, God, that you would help us, Lord, to appreciate the thing that we are part of today. To understand that what you are building in your church, in your heavenly kingdom, is of infinite worth and value so much more than the little trinkets and the toys that we play with on a daily basis. I'm praying, God, that you would cause us to be be renewed in our reverence for your kingdom and for what you're doing in our lives. We give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Verse 28 of our scripture made the statement that by this we may serve God acceptably with reverence. Everybody say the word reverence. This is a critical issue in the life of every Christian. That we all have to understand the things that we must revere. The things we must honor. The things we must give high value and priority in our life. The opposite of reverence is, of course, irreverence. And this is a spirit that has been loosed in our generation. The spirit of irreverence. It's the idea of, I don't care. I don't have to respect. I don't have to uh, pay uh, dues to anybody. It's a lack of respect for things that deserve it. It's It's the spirit of someone who takes a Stradivarius violin and says, who cares what it is? It's the spirit of someone who takes the bowl worth $3 million and sells it for 2 bucks at a garage sale. 
It's the spirit of someone who looks at a family that God has brought together, a husband and a wife and a children, and says, what's the big deal? I can cheat on my wife. I can crumple it up and throw it away. What's the big deal? That's the spirit of irreverence. Some synonyms. Blasphemy. Flippant. Heresy. Discourtesy. Rudeness. Sauciness. Sinfulness. It's the idea of sitting down when you're supposed to stand. It's the idea, it's a plague in our society. It's the lack of respect for parents, for authorities, for self, for history. But ultimately, it's the lack of respect for God and for His kingdom. Some of you have read that one of the Ten Commandments was that you shall not make the name of God as a profane thing. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. This is the idea behind that commandment. In other words, when you speak the name of God, understand what you're speaking. And to do anything else, to speak... And and the Hebrew people took that so seriously and took that so profoundly that even in their language today, if they communicate the name of God, when they write it down, they actually skip over the vowel sound in the middle. They will take the G and the D and they will put a dash in between because they don't want to make it unholy by writing it out. There is a respect, there is an honor for the name of God. The, the, the idea of irreverence is profanity. To profane something, to make it as if it's meaningless. It's immorality. It's godless. See, this is what sexual immorality is all about, right? Sexual immorality is taking something that is so pure and so holy and something that God designed for husbands and wives to enjoy together, something that results in the creation of new human beings. That's an amazing thing. And the world today takes it and twists it into a thousand nasty, perverted directions. That is profane, that is immoral, that is irreverent. The Greek word has the idea of trampling on holy places. Some of you have a lawn at your house. And if you understand anything about lawn care, it takes a lot of work, doesn't it? For that reason, my lawn is full of weeds. But some people take the time and the effort to plant the seeds, to put in the fertilizer, to get rid of the weeds, to mow it perfect length, to keep the birds out, to make sure they don't eat the seeds. And week after week, I see some people in my neighborhood, man, and I envy their lawn when it comes out perfectly green, and man, you want to roll around in that grass. But how many understand that takes work? And for me to take my muddy shoes... And to go stomping around in my neighbor's lawn that he's worked so hard for. That's the idea of irreverence. Profanity. Taking something that is of high value and high worth and to treat it as nothing. Profanity. See, when people think about the word profanity, the first thing that you think of, of course, is cussing is when you use dirty words to describe things. And isn't it interesting that profanity always has to do with things that are either in the bathroom or in the bedroom? Right? 
It's one of two categories. Profanity is either something that you do in the bathroom or in the bedroom. And why is that? Because it's taking holy things and replacing them with filth. Coarse speech. Cussing. It's taking the divine ability of speech that God gave only to humanity and dragging it through the mud. See, if you can't think of any other words except cuss words, you need to improve your vocabulary. It is possible for us in the same way to replace things that are holy and righteous with things that are irreverent and profane. The Bible has a couple stories to illustrate this that I want to share with you. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, there's a story of a man named Uzzah. And the Bible says these words, David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of of, uh, wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Here's what you have to understand about the ark. We're talking about the ark of the tabernacle, right? The holy box made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. And in it, we understand, was held the the, the commandments, the, the pieces of the tablets that came down from the mountain directly from the Lord God. This was a symbol of God's holy presence on a sinful earth. And they would carry this thing from place to place as a, as a war cry, as a rally for the people of Israel that if that box was there, that the presence of God was with them. And one of the rules about that Ark of the Covenant, you all have seen Indiana Jones, right? <laughs> when they open that thing up and their faces melted off, well, there's a reason why it was portrayed like that because it is something Holy. And when Uzzah was there taking care of the ark, apparently one of the ox that was pulling this thing on a cart, one of the rules was that no human being should carry this thing, put it on a cart and let the ox pull it. And the ox tripped and fell and the cart began to stumble. Now Uzzah thought he was doing a good job by reaching out his hand and holding on to the ark. He began to understand very quickly that that was a mistake. It says in verse 7, this is still in the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence, and he died there next to the ark of God. Wow. I was just trying to help, God. <laughs> But God said, to, I would rather have my holy ark fall on the ground than to have sinful human hands to touch it. That's how holy and reverent we're supposed to be. And this brings us back to the story of the man in, in our scripture, whose name is Esau. Esau, who sold his birthright in exchange for one meal. If you know the story, the Bible says that Esau was the father's favorite, that their father, Jacob, he was going blind, he was coming to the end of his life, and he, it's time now, he, he's beginning to think about who the blessing of the firstborn is going to go on. In those days, we know that the blessing of the firstborn carried all the responsibilities, 
carried all the weight of spiritual and physical heritage. In those days, the firstborn would receive a double portion from all the other children. So what that means is that he is going to be not just the leader of the family after Jacob dies, but he is going to carry the lineage of God's promise. The promise that God made to Abraham, which he then made to Isaac, which he then made to Jacob, a spiritual heritage that is being passed down that we're still part of today. Can you say amen? And that heritage is now going to be passed on either to Isaac or excuse me, to Esau or to Jacob. Esau comes in one day after he had been hunting. He's tired. Some of you know what it's like after a long day of work to come home, and he's hungry. And there's Jacob, right? There's Jacob, who's kind of a little conniving guy, and he's got a little plan up his sleeve. He says, I'm going to fix up some of Esau's favorite soup, that bean, that 21 bean soup that smells so delicious. And so when Esau comes out of the fields, he's starving, he's thirsty, he's hungry, his flesh is crying out, and Jacob says, hey, perfect brother, I've got a bowl of delicious stew just waiting for you. He says, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you this bowl of soup. You trade me the birthright. Trade me the promise. Trade me the blessing of the firstborn. I'll give you the bowl. And we know what happened, right? We know that Esau said, what good is the birthright to me if I'm about to die? And he trades this blessing, this promise of God for a bowl of beans. The greatest mistake of Esau's life is he took something that was worth a million dollars. The blessing, the, the, the blessing of the firstborn, and he traded it for a bowl of baked beans from Walmart for 75 cents. This to God made him a profane man. To take what is priceless and to trade it for what is worthless. You say, Pastor, what does all this have to do with me? The truth is that there are people sitting under the sound of my voice. You're doing exactly the same thing. You are taking what is beyond price, beyond value, the things of the kingdom, and you are trading them for that which brings you momentary pleasure. You are throwing away the blessing of God's promise and grace for a moment of gratification. And God don't play that. Apparently, this was not just one act or one mistake of his life, but the crowning achievement of a life of profanity, a life of irreverence. It's the idea, I just don't care about spiritual things. These are the mistakes of Esau the irreverent person. We can look around in our generation today and see Esau all around us. The spirit of Esau is alive and well in our culture, in our world. The the thing about the irreverent person is that he values, he or she values material things more than spiritual things. In other words, the things that I possess are far more important than the things I believe. That's incorrect. That my house, my car, my bank account is more important than reading the Word of God or prayer or attending the assembly. There are people who trade their destiny, trade their ministry for a few extra hours. That is the spirit of Esau at work. 
That is the irreverent life. Verse 17 shows us the result of choosing to profane the things of God. In our scripture, Hebrews 12, 17, for you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He was rejected because he didn't find opportunity for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Here's what we learn about Esau. You can read about it. That Esau finally understood what he had done. He said, oh no, I've made a great mistake. But we know at the end of uh, the life of Isaac that he, he blessed Jacob instead of Esau. The blessing flowed to him, and as soon as it happened, Esau said, no, no, father, you've blessed the wrong son. And what did he say? It's already done. It can't be undone. The blessing has been given. It can't be ungiven. And Esau spent the rest of his life mourning over that decision. Later in the Scripture, it tells us that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. That's pretty strong. He tried to recover but couldn't. I wonder about the person who has incorrect priorities in the kingdom. I wonder about the person who treats the things of God as though they are nothing. Will you you be able to recover? Or have we gone too far? Think about Lot. Genesis 13, verse 10. says that Lot, we just read about this. I'm reading some Bible stories with my daughter before we go to sleep at night. And one of them was about Lot. That there was a time of decision that they, the, we know that the, uh, the shepherds in the field were having conflicts. And so Abram comes to his nephew Lot and says, hey, we don't want to have any, any disagreements here. So here's the deal. You pick a direction to go. I'll go the other direction and we will part ways. And this is what Lot did. You wish that Lot could have said, no, please, uncle, please, we, we can work this out. We can stay together. We don't have to separate our family as a result of this. He said, I'm committed to you, my uh, my uncle Abram. You wish that's what he said, but he didn't. Lot took the opportunity and he looked out and he saw the Jordan Valley as far as Zoar was well watered. This is Genesis 13, 10. Was well watered like the Lord's garden and the land of Egypt. The problem is that it's right next door to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so here's Lot who makes a decision that it's okay for me to go into the place where wickedness abounds so that I can get a little profit. Because it's well watered like the garden of the Lord. Later, you continue to read the story, Abraham prays for his nephew Lot. God, please save him. He's made bad decisions. God's about to destroy the city. And God sends angels to drag Lot out of the city. You remember that story? He's raining down fire and brimstone. If you want to know what God thinks about sexual perversion and immorality, read that story. And God sends angels to rescue Lot. You know what the problem is? All of his children perished. And the ones that did survive, his two daughters, they were forever infected the spirit of Sodom. That's the PG version. You can go read the rated R version. His wife forever entombed as a pillar of salt. Jesus said, remember, Lot's wife. 
He paid a high price, didn't he? He lost his family in Sodom. For what? So he could make a little extra dough. What will you trade for your profane decisions? What will you trade for your materialism, your love of money, your love of stuff? What will you trade? Esau said, I don't care how much it's worth. I'm hungry. I'm hangry. You better give me that bowl of beans. And he crumpled up all the things of God and tossed them in the trash as if they were nothing. This is the idea of profanity. Now in our scripture, there is an explanation of two mountains. Each of these mountains represents a way of life, a system of devotion, a covenant relationship between God and man. The first mountain that is described in our scripture is Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai, we know exactly where it is today, and it is the place where God delivered His law to the people. And he describes it, the author of Hebrews describes Mount Sinai as a very disturbing and scary place. Listen to how he described it again, verse 18. You, you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. And those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear was commanded. And even if an animal touched that mountain, it must be stoned. And the appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am terrified and trembling. You want to know what that is? That is the holiness of God exposed to the world. Right? If you and I had a vision, had a revelation of how holy God truly is, that we in our sinfulness would be so terrified that we could not bear it. This is why the Bible says that no man can see God and live. That even, there's Moses who goes to the top of the mountain, right? And he receives those two tablets from the Lord. Those ten commandments. And for 40 days he's up there. And the Bible says, when he comes back down, that his face is literally shining with the presence of God. And the people, they looked at him and they said, Ah! Ah! It's too scary! And they had to cover his face and he had to wear a veil. Like a bride. That was probably embarrassing. He had to veil his face to cover it up because it was so disturbing to all the people. So they said, <clears throat> listen, Moses. All the people came to Moses. They said, no, we are definitely not going on that mountain. We are staying far, far away from that mountain. Scary things happen. In fact, Moses, when you go up there, we look up there and we see lightning and we see thunder. The whole mountain covered in a cloud of God's holiness. That's scary. That first mountain of Sinai is darkness and gloom and separation. Impossible. Why would anyone want to go up there? And this represents the Old Covenant. Stick with me, church. We're going somewhere. This represents the Old Covenant, the sacrifice, the blood. This represents the Old Hebrew religion. And this is still true of most religions in the world today. The result, of course, is I don't want a part of that. Please send someone else to speak to God because I don't want to speak to Him. That's scary. 
We don't want to see him. We don't want to touch him. You go up the mountain, Moses, and then you tell us what God said. Because we're not going up there. And this is how many people treat God today. This is why many of your friends and loved ones will tell you, you know, I wish maybe someday I'll go to church, but not today. The reason why is because of the same idea. The old covenant. That if I step in that church, guess what? God's going to strike me down with lightning bolts. Because we understand deep down how unholy, how sinful we are. And the church and the people of God today represent, represent God. And they say, no, 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 I don't want a part of that. God is too scary. This is the result of incorrect theology or outdated revelation. There is no relationship with God. Why would you want to pray to a God who's so scary like that? Why would you want to give? Why would you want to tell people about Jesus or witness? The result is irreverence. The result is, I don't want a part of that. That doesn't have any value to me. And people who have that view of the kingdom or that view of God will ultimately leave. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Too harsh, too difficult, too many standards. And yet, our scripture says, this is not the mountain you've come to. You've come to a different mountain. And then he describes it in verse 22. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriads of angels in festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to God who is judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of of Abel. Interesting that Abel gets a shout out in this scripture. But which mountain sounds better to you? The one where it's doom and gloom and scary things or the mountain where Jesus is and the mountain where the sprinkled blood has washed away the stain of sins? What do we see on this mountain? We see all the citizens of heaven. We see a party with the angels. We see people whose names have been written in heaven. This represents the new covenant, beloved. The new covenant in the blood of Jesus, the one we celebrate when we take communion. And Jesus said, when you take of this cup, you take of my new covenant. The promise that God made that because of what Jesus did on the cross, that we have a new and living way in Jesus Christ. This is what Esau could have no idea of. What will you choose? As we close, one of the problems I see in the Christian church today, and maybe for the last 30 to 40 years, is the Christian church has been trying to be relevant. That's a very popular word in church circles for the last 30 years or so. The church needs to be relevant. And yes, I agree, we need to be accessible, we need to be in a place where people can approach the church. But many times what people mean when they're talking about relevance is that churches have been trying to impress the world. Impress the world with beautiful facilities, with multi-million dollar campuses, with smiley preachers, 
and messages about your best life now. And every day of Friday. And everything is, uh, is, is happy juice and band-aids. And, uh, you know, you just come to Jesus and your life will be improved. It's some kind of 12-step program or self-improvement. And you go to the bookstore and you find the self-improvement section right next to the Christianity section. That's the world. That's the relevance that the church has been trying to portray. We need to be relevant. We need to impress the world enough that they'll just come flooding in. You know the problem with that is? If you go fishing, the fish never jump in the boat on their own. Do they? If they do for you, I need to go fishing with you. That's not how it works. We are not called to go out on the lake and say, Hey, little fishies! Let me tell you how great it would be if you got into my sandwich today. No, we're not called to impress the fish. We are called to catch the fish. Jesus said, I will make you catchers of men. We are not supposed to try to impress the world. Jesus didn't try to impress anybody. He wasn't out there to make a great name for himself. He simply went about the business of the kingdom, winning the lost, praying for the sick, raising the dead, preaching the good news. And guess what? That made him pretty unpopular sometimes. We are not called to win any popularity contests. If you are here to improve your life, listen, you can improve your life by surrendering to the Lord Jesus and finding yourself in the center of His purpose and plan instead of relevance we need reverence whatever we were trying to do to be relevant hasn't worked out very well when the church is only trying to be relevant you know what we produce we produce false converts we tr- we produce people who come to the church to see a big show to get impressed And then the next moment that there is any kind of difficulty in their life, guess what? That's not what I signed up for. Listen to what our Scripture says in verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. And by it we may serve God acceptably with reverence. And with awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let me ask you this morning. Have you found yourself treating the things of God as though they were nothing? Treating the prayer meeting as though it was unimportant? Treating the Word of God as though second or third or fifth place in our lives? Oh, the Facebook page is far more interesting. If we would take the amount of time we looked at Facebook and put it into the, into the God's book, it would revolutionize you. If we would take the amount of time and attention that we spend on our personal portfolio, our savings, or 401k, and we put it into the kingdom. See, this is a question of priorities, isn't it? Priorities are important to God. The Lord our God, it says there is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. And when the Bible says that, it doesn't mean that God is a sinful God. It means that He is jealous for your heart. That He will not put up with other interests that you might have. Like a jealous husband who looks at his wife and he doesn't want her to be interested in anybody else, right? 
And God looks at us and He says, why are you so consumed by the world? Why are you so in love with the things of the world? John, he made that statement. Those who love the world and the things in the world, they are not of Jesus. They are not of God. Nor indeed can they be. He is a jealous God. It means that our first and most important priority in life ought to be what? The kingdom. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all. Everybody say the word all. How much of that is included? Is that 90%? Is that 95%? Is that 99%? All means 100%. There's nothing left behind to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. Everything you've got. Jesus said this is the great commandment. And this is the one that we fail. And when we do, guess what happens? We become irreverent and we become profane like Esau. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to give you good news. That we all fall short from time to time becoming irreverent. But the hope is found in, in the second mountain. In the new covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. The hope is found in the resurrected Savior that we celebrated last week. That when we put our trust in Him, listen, we have something that the Old Testament saints wished that they had. They wished that they had a Savior that could lead them to the promised land. They wished, Moses was, he was okay, but he was flawed too, right? He had a bunch of problems. He had an anger issue. that He struck the rock. God said, speak to the rock. And Moses struck the rock. Right? He was ticked off that day. He had an anger issue. He had a short, short fuse. And, and he, was, he did what he was supposed to do, but he was imperfect. But we have Jesus, the author and the finisher of our salvation, the perfecter of our faith. And when we come to Him, it said, let us hold on to that grace. Let us hold on. Let us not treat it as though it was worthless. Because when we will, we find the grace, the mercy that we need to join the celebration on Mount Zion. Let's bow our heads this morning and close our eyes as we bring this service to an end. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three. Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four. Our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe. 
because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.